<clears throat> this is K75 from the Shoyoroku. Rian's constant principle. The introduction. Even as you call it thus, it is already changed. When knowledge doesn't reach, avoid speaking of it. Here, is there any investigating or not? The case. Rian asked Yantao, what is the fundamental constant principle? Yantao said, moving. Rian said, when moving, what then? Yanta said, you do not see the fundamental constant principle. Rian stood there thinking. Yanta said, if you agree, you are not free of sense and matter. If you do not agree, you'll be forever sunk in birth and death. The verse, the round pearl has no hollows. The great raw gem isn't polished. What is esteemed by people of the way is having no edges. Removing the road of agreement, senses and matter are empty. The free body resting in nothing stands out unique and alive. It was just two weeks ago that we concluded our Sishin, full Sishin, and it's already starting to feel like a distant memory, which at this point it is. But for those of you who were there, you know by experience that it was much more than just another event to remember fondly or not. You know, the tight schedule, the multiple zazen periods, the formal meals, and all other activities during a sashin create, a very skillfully create uninterrupted flow and provide a container for all of us to ease into a sense of cohesiveness, togetherness which is a process experienced differently, of course, by each of us. But I think we can all comfortably say that most participants experience a growing sense of unity within the Sangha. And along with that, there was some relief from the heavy burden of our ego-ridden self. Practitioners often begin Sashin or Sashin with trepidations and some uptightness and then gradually soften, begin to trust the process and open up to give and receive support. The workings of this process can often be visually seen on people's faces as a journey from a frown to a smile. And although I've seen it many times and many of you have seen it many times, it still amazes me to witness this process and see the transformation in practitioners' demeanor, to see the facial muscles relax, to see the tension, how it eases up and out of the body, and to see the worries somewhat fade away 
And then to see the, the naturalness in people just moving about. There seemed to be more ease just in moving. Now we experience this individually and also as a Sangha. And it feels that with each Sishin, we're going deeper. And we grow in our ability to create, as a Sangha, to create a more conducive structure, which is a tribute to our willingness to examine, to let go, to adapt, and to change. A willingness to examine, let go, adapt, and change. And Sushin provides optimal conditions to hone these characteristics since we work together. And the word together is, is very important here. We work together to maintain a unified container that encourages each one of us to release the tight grip of the fictitious self we have. We usually work so hard to defend. It's kind of like we take a break from having to defend it. And then when this tight grip opens up a bit, we naturally begin to experience a softening of our rigid mind and all its habitual defensive maneuverings. And so overall, I have to say that as a Sangha, our practice is definitely deepening and strengthening during Sashins. It was very encouraging to witness the great care the love and support each of you expressed during those few days we spent together on the mountain was truly palpable. And I want to thank you all for that. I also want to say that each practitioner, each person at Sashin is equally contributing to making this possible. It's not the hierarchy is completely irrelevant to the togetherness. Yeah, some people have jobs, they do this, they do that. And we may think, well, this person has a more important job and I don't have any job, maybe, right? It's, it's, it's completely meaningless in terms of bringing our energy to the collective energy. We always do. We may not think of ourselves as such, or we may not see what we bring into it as valuable as what we may think other people bring into it. But each and every one of us is equally contributing. Even when we come to Sashin and we feel like a mess, we are still giving and receiving. So there's no doubt that everyone experienced some level of softening in the rigidity of the mind. Some. Let's not measure it. And in the opening of the heart to some degree. But the paramount question that often comes up after each session is how to work with our strong tendency to contract and become rigid again. Because this is where we're at right now. 
And if we don't address this issue proactively, the experience we had during Sishin will quickly fade away in the rearview mirror without creating any significant changes in the way we live our lives. And that's where it's really most important. It's not the memories that matter. Even if we look fondly at photos from the event and we smile, that was nice. But now, it doesn't matter. Going forward, what matters most is what we learn about ourselves and about our great capacities as human beings. Or more specifically, our innate capacity for constant adaptation and our inherent openness for unconditional love and acceptance. So that's, those are the important questions to look at. Or we can ask, now what? Now what? What do I do with it? We, we may feel that it's easier to experience and express such capacities when surrounded by supportive Sangha during a Sashin, which may be true because it is very conducive for that, but it's only conducive to expose what's already there, which means it's exposing what's already here all the time. The Sashin is a form of training the mind to step outside of the boundaries of familiar patterns so we can learn to trust our fundamental nature and then allow it to manifest at all times for the benefit of all. As the inner chance at the end of morning service, may we cultivate deep wisdom and recognize the subtle equanimity throughout all creations at all times. The word subtle here is very important. It is so subtle that so often we don't see it. We don't connect with it. So taking the practice off the cushion post Sashin, we need to recognize that what we experience at Sashin or during Zazen, regardless of the brevity or depth of the experience, is verifying our essential nature, which of course is always present, always available. But the challenge with that is the seeming elusiveness of it and the ungraspability of our essential nature. In other words, as soon as we get a glimpse of it, as soon as we get a glimpse of it, it moves and changes. And all we are left with is just an impression of past experience. So we have We've had experiences, so we have experiences on the cushion, and they may be profound. And the second we look for them, they're gone. They're gone. The, the memory is gone. What we get in touch with is not gone, because it does not come and go. Always present, but the memory, the impression, is no longer there, 
is just an impression. As it says in the introduction to this koan, even if you call it thus, it is already changed. I just had an experience. It was incredible. The words have nothing to do with the experience. Yet, we hold on to the words and we tell others, we tell ourselves, we write about it, we think about it. And all that is moving us away from what we are talking about. Where knowledge doesn't reach, avoid speaking of it. Avoid speaking of it. So we come back home, we want to tell friends and family about the experience. What is it that we can say? I had a tough time with the chopsticks, right? Maybe that. What else can we say? This was an amazing experience. What is, what is that word amazing, right? What is it capturing? What does it evoke, right? It may evoke something in me because I know what I'm talking about and I remember the experience and maybe I can evoke the experience now. But then when we speak about it, it seems irrelevant. The words seem irrelevant to what we're talking about because we don't know what we're talking about. So then it's asking us, the last line of the introduction, asking us here, is there any investigating or not? What are we investigating? Or maybe how are we, what does it mean to investigate as a Zen practitioner? We know what, what investigation means, right? But is that the same kind of investigation? How do we investigate our true self if our true self is nothing but constant change? It doesn't stop. Nothing stops. How do you observe that which is constantly changing. How do you observe if the observation itself is constantly changing? So in this koan, we meet Yantao and his disciple, Ryan. Some of you may know them by their Japanese names, Ganto and Zwigan. Remember, Zwigan called himself master, right? So the dialogue in this case happened when Rian first came to study with Yanta. And he started the conversation by asking, what is the fundamental constant principle? In another translation, it says, what is the everlasting truth? This is a primary question that leads people to explore spiritual practice. But it can also haunt us for many years, even while being engaged with the practice. Recognizing that everything is marked by change. Is there anything that is 
constant and unchanging. The body is in a process of disintegration and will eventually perish. So it is not a very reliable source of comfort and stability to rely on. It doesn't stop us from trying. But it's not. We cannot rely. The body will fail us, guaranteed to fail us. It's the same with everything we are surrounded by. Right? Everything is marked by the same changeability, destructibility. So therefore, also cannot be relied upon. So the question is, is there anything else other than that? What can I rely on? What can I identify with? What about the big eye or the true self? Is that the unchanging me? Is that who I am? Now that question itself is problematic because we have to ask who is asking. Who is asking the questions that we so frantically look for answers for? So Yanto answers this question with one word. Moving. Moving. Ryan said, when moving, what then? And Yanto said, you do not see the fundamental constant principle. In other words, you are fully merged. When merged, where is the gap between the seer and what is being seen? Where is the gap? Where is the gap now? You stop to think about it you create a gap, the illusion of a gap. But I want to know, here's the gap. I don't like, here's a gap. I like, here's a gap. I am for, I am against, here's the gap. So Rian stood there thinking about the, the answer or the question. What does that mean? You do not see the fundamental constant principle. So how do we understand the meaning of our intrinsic, the true deep meaning of our intrinsic nature? What does it mean, intrinsic nature? What is Buddha nature? So to dive into this further, I want to turn to a couple of fascicles by Dogen. This one is about Buddha nature. It says, Buddha said, if you wish to grasp the meaning of Buddha nature, just look at the conditions associated with the moment. It's not what we do. Just look at the conditions associated with this moment, not that moment, this moment. Then, when the right moment arrives, 
Buddha nature will manifest before your very eyes. When the right moment arrives. Even that line, that statement, when the right moment arrives, right, that could send us into great agony because maybe we think it's never going to arrive for me or how do I know when it arrives and on and on and on. Somebody was asked me, I gave an introduction at Shobhaji this past Thursday, and I talked a little bit about authenticity, and somebody asked, how do I know when I'm authentic? How do I know when I'm authentic? So I asked him, do you sometimes feel at ease? He said, yes, and I asked him, how do you know? How do you know you're at ease? You don't even ask the question, right? You just do. Instead of asking questions, you actually enjoy this being at ease. Who cares? I don't have to explain this to anybody. I don't have to write anything about it. It doesn't matter whether people believe it or not. Right? How do you know when you're authentic? You just do. Because you don't. And then he says, now the statement, if you wish to grasp meaning of Buddha nature, that's Dogen, does not simply mean having knowledge of it. Rather, it is a tantamount to saying, if you want to put it into practice, if you want to experience it directly, if you want to see it, or even if you want to get the thought of it out of your mind, and this giving voice to it, putting it into practice, experience it directly, experiencing it directly, dropping off thoughts or whether one is accurate or inaccurate about it and so forth, all conditions associated with the moment. In contemplating the condition associated with the moment, we contemplate by means of the conditions associated with the moment. We observe what's going on. We study. We study life. We study our reactivity to life. We study what gets in the way. We study the way we cover what we are looking, that which we are looking for. Further, we cannot do our contemplation by employing intellectual discernment that is tainted with defiling passions or that is free of defiling passions or by employing discernment derived from our original awakened state or from our first awakening, or by employing discernment derived from our not yet having awakened or from our having genuinely awakened. In other words, it doesn't matter. Whatever's going on right now, that's what we work with. Everything else doesn't really matter to that kind of investigation. The Buddha is saying, just look, 
does not depend on our being able to look or, or on what we look at. Right? So in observation, we say observation, the mind immediately assumes two or duality, two or a million. It assumes there is the one who is investigating and what is being investigated or observed. It says after that, what just look refers to is unconnected with such matters as genuine contemplation or false contemplation. Because it is just looking. Just looking. It is not looking at ourselves or looking at anything else. It is pointing to the conditions of the moment and it is transcending the conditions of the moment. That kind of observation dissolves what is being observed and the one who is observing or we can say that it is merging the one who is observing and what is being observed. It is Buddha pointing to Buddha. It is true nature pointing to true nature. And this is difficult for us to digest which has everything to do with being upside down and then turning right side up. We often don't want to be turned right side up because we are so attached to and used to and, and also draw comfort from being upside down. And upside down means I see you and there is a gap between us. It is so logical for us to have a gap that we don't even want to contemplate transcending that. And what Dogen is saying is that we are unable to see our fundamental nature because it is already inherent in the seeing itself. It is that by which seeing is made possible. It is that by which seeking is made possible. And it is that by which walking, talking, and living everyday life is made possible. It's kind of like we're asking, what is air? Without realizing that it sustains us. Or air is what is enabling us to ask the question, what is air? Why the Buddha said, those who seek for me in shapes, sounds, do not see me, do not hear me. Me is it, in this case. <clears throat> so another fascicle called Zenki, the totality of everything, Logan writes, Life is, for example, similar to a person riding in a boat. In this boat, I, the I, quote-unquote, I, uses the sails. I am at the helm, and I move the boat, pull the boat. 
Although I operate the boat, the boat is carrying me. And there is no I other than the boat. I am on the boat and I make the boat into a boat. There is no boat without me. There is no me without a boat. We should inquire and study this very moment. At this very moment, there is nothing other than the world of the boat, the sky, the water, and the coast all become the time of the boat, which is obviously connected to Uji, time being, right? Time being, reality being, one. One always comes back to one. And in one, there is no seeing, there is no hearing, there is no doing. So active all day, she does nothing. Wu Wei, Chinese. Why? Because she's not there other than the doing. Then he says, therefore, I give birth to life. Life makes me into me. So the statement, my life, is false. It's just false. Because I don't have a life to speak of. Because I am what I'm speaking about. I am life. If I speak in such terms as my life, I'm creating something that is a part of life. Well, then, of course, the question comes after that. Who are you then? Who are you as the one who possesses life? My life. Who are you? Other than a conceptual image that is created for the purpose of saying my life. Now, it's not wrong to say it because conventionally we have to speak in such terms. Right? You go to the doctor, this, my hand hurts. You have to speak in such terms, although you don't have a hand. You don't. We think we do. If we understand how to say my hand without believing that this means more than just conventional way of speaking, then we can use it. If we don't understand how to use it in such a way, we become slaves to language, to concepts. So the self, the boat, the coast, the entire ocean and the whole universe are all moving and functioning together. Dogen is saying is that there is no fixed self that does not move. All things are moving. And this entire world which is always moving is none other than who I am. It's none other than who everything is in essence and in reality. It is such a relief Terrifying at first, 
but then such a relief. And I think that those who have experienced Sishin's understand by experience what that feels like. Right? We come into Sishin as different beings. We, we come together and then little by little, because of the way that the Sishin works, the structure works, the gaps begin to fade away and we begin to move together. Who are you? I don't know. I'm just moving. You walk in Kinhin and then little by little you see actually that the Kinhin line becomes more integrated, more cohesive. And then there is, again, there is this relief. I don't have to know. I don't have to have answers to all the questions I came, I came with. I have a whole list of questions. I don't need to answer them. Because there are no questions. So, one of the things I was talking about this Thursday, I gave introduction of seven or eight new people. And during the Tay show, I was saying that Zen is very, uh, can have very austere appearance, very plain. There's not much given, right? Because all you get, you, you show up at the Zen center, you're given basic instructions, and you're given a place to sit. That's it. That's it. And maybe a cup of tea. But that's it. No, nobody's going to talk to you during your zazen, during sitting. Nobody's going to guide you through that. Nobody's going to ask you questions. How are you doing? Do you need anything? And No. You're on your own. Now, we may feel as if it's neglecting or not caring, but he's actually deeply caring because what Zen is saying, I know you've got what it takes. I trust you, your ability and capacities, way more than you trust yourself. So I'm not going to give you anything. Why? Because you don't need a crutch. Because you are perfect and complete. But you're going to have to verify it on your own. Because if I, if I keep telling you perfect and complete, you're going to be relying on me saying it. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut and give you nothing, say nothing. It may appear to be stingy, but it is deeply generous. But we don't want that. We want stuff. We collect stuff. Zen is too plain. That's what makes it so deeply powerful. Because it is saying, you are perfectly complete. I'm not going to add an ounce to that or take away from that. That's the message. That's the practice. So when Yanto said, you do not see the fundamental constant principle, Rian stood there trying to figure it out. What is he saying? What did I just hear? And then Yanto said, he perceived that 
hesitation or pondering. And he said, if you agree, you're not yet free of sense and matter. If you disagree, you will be forever sunk in birth and death. You can adjust if you need. So agreement or disagreement, they're based on intellectual reasoning or emotional responses and therefore cannot reach beyond conventional reality. And often our unwillingness to flow, adapt, and merge arises from our insistence to rely solely on thoughts and emotions when meeting with changing circumstances. We look at the changes, we look at the changeability, and we go to the mind or we go to our emotions emotional interpretations to figure out how to meet this moment. So we step outside to figure out how to merge with what is already moving. And what we ponder about is no longer so. Because we take a slice of reality which is constantly changing and we try to investigate it. It is dead. How can we investigate that which is dead? It's a crumb. It's an old crumb that was left behind. And we try to figure it out. And it is deeply disappointing, obviously. And so agreeing or disagreeing, right? So he said moving and then he stood and thought about it, right? What I said is gone. What are you pondering? What are you trying to figure out? It's not my words. It's not my voice. Even the voice changes. And so agreeing or disagreeing become a barrier to fully experiencing life. What I think doesn't matter. Isn't that a relief? Or well, I don't matter a part of what is. I can only matter by merging with what is. Then, of course, I greatly matter. There's an old Zen verse that says, How many times I have changed my firmly determined mind? Mind, mind, how unreliable, how unreliable I am. That's what I use to verify life. Verse, the round pearl has no hollows. And the footnote says, where could you start to work on it? The great raw gem isn't polished. And the footnote says, save your effort. Right? We're trying to work on ourselves, right? We say that, I'm working on myself. Footnote says, save your effort. Don't work so hard. In fact, the more you work on it, the further away you get from it. Or the more you create. 
something or someone. As is means as is. Just like that. Otherwise, when we speak of unconditional acceptance, we may not understand what we're talking about. Right? Unconditional acceptance means see. It doesn't mean, well, you know, compromise. That's as good as it gets. Or is that, that's as good as you get. Right? That doesn't mean that. Save your effort not because you can't be that. Because you are that. So when we speak of inherent completion, we speak of that which cannot be spoken of. And when we try to understand it, we turn away from who we truly are. When we stop trying so hard to find it, we naturally ease into encountering it, experiencing it, manifesting it. As we feel during Sashin. And you can see that. If you want to see, you look at pictures, you see the, the smiles. You see the ease. Not at the beginning, which is understandable. And then it says, the, line, the next line says, what is esteemed by people of the way is having no edges. And to be a person of the way means to keep examining, to, to get in touch with our sharp edges and smooth them out by aligning, not smooth them out by working so hard, but by aligning our internal state of being with the way reality is. By merging, moment by moment, merging with life. Now, internal agreement is not thought-based. It's not, let me think about it, and I have to look at my parameters. My made-up parameters by which I'm going to decide if, this, if I approve or disapprove of this moment. That's not what we mean by that. Merging is letting go of that. Or merging is dropping all standards and all parameters. And an enlightened person is a person without parameters or standards. So we often reside in the a bubble, in the bubble created, right, of our personal by our personal interpretations, and we think that we understand. We think we know how to even try to understand. So we think we know what we hear and see. We think we have an idea of it already before it even arises. But. Often, all we see is what we bring to the moment. All we see is what is stale, what is already dead. All we see is what already happened and the way we reacted to what happened. And of course, this creates the edges that prevent us from flowing with life. Right? Imagine 
a ball, right, with sharp edges. Try to roll it. Try to roll it. How much effort does it take to try to roll something that's not round and smooth? So what are your sharp edges is a good question to work with. What is, what is holding you back? How do you hold yourself back? Removing the road of agreement, senses and matter are empty. Footnote says, forget the shadows and echoes in the sense media. Removing the road of agreement. It's not about agreeing or disagreeing. It's not about you. The last line, the free body resting in nothing stands out unique and alive. So when we feel some sense of ease in our practice, whether it's Zazen, one period, or multiple during Sashin, what is it that we are resting in? What is it? Can you define it? Can you speak about it? Can you describe it to anyone? Do you know what it is? Do you care to know what it is? Does it really matter? And that's the point of the famous line that awakened Huineng, dwelling nowhere, raised the body-mind. When we dwell nowhere, we are at ease. It's a different kind. It's not because we get what we want. It's a much more profound sense of ease. Not because of what will happen later today, or because of what I've accomplished earlier, yesterday. It's a whole different way of feeling at ease. It's just being. Not even being at ease, it's just being. Because the being is already at ease. One day, Yanta was talking with Jefeng and Kinshan. Jefeng suddenly pointed at the basin of water. Kinshan said, when the water is clear, the moon comes out. Jefeng said, when the water is clear, the moon does not come out. Yanto got up, kicked over the basin and walked away. That's alive. That's the way we need to practice. Kick it over and walk away. Kick what over? Anything you think about, anything you hold on to, anything you agree with, anything you disagree with, kick it away and walk. Just walk. 
just keep moving. So that's, that's the challenge of post Zazen, post Sishin. How do we do this? How do we keep it alive? So it doesn't become a distant memory, right? Sashin after Sashin, Zazen period after Zazen period. What is it that we encounter, not by thought, but by experience? And how do we again and again awaken to that on the go? So dynamic merging, right? We, we're spending some time working with that. But obviously, this is a fundamental aspect of practice that is not about three months of ango. But three months of ango can be helpful to clarify what we are turning towards, what we need to turn towards. So, yeah. Keep that alive. Thank you.